Hello, and welcome to the Homeschool Sanity Show, your prescription for happier, healthier homeschooling. I'm your host, Dr. Melanie Wilson, Christian psychologist turned homeschooling mother of six. Let's get started. Hey, homeschoolers. If you're a Christian homeschooler, you know you want the Bible to be the cornerstone of what you teach. My guest today is going to help us with that. I met Katherine Zoller at the Great Homeschool Convention in St. Louis. Speaking of the Great Homeschool Conventions, I'll be in Round Rock, Texas and Jacksonville, Florida this month. Please come by the Grammar Galaxy Books booth to say hi. I watched Katherine chat with her booth mates the first evening and day of the St. Louis Conference, but I said nothing to her. Then on Saturday morning, I parked my car near hers. You can't miss her car because it has the most engaging wrap on it that advertises her books. I clearly felt the Lord nudge me to introduce myself to her. Am I ever glad I did? I learned all about Catherine's line of Bible books that my kids would have loved. I got to hear her jaw-dropping life story And most importantly, I made a new friend. I had to ask her to join me on the podcast. Before I share the interview, I want to thank CTC Math for sponsoring the podcast. Are you looking for a new math curriculum? CTC Math specializes in providing online video tutorials that take a multi-sensory approach to learning. Favorably reviewed in Kathy Duffy's 102 Top Picks and the Old Schoolhouse Crew Review, the lessons are short and concise to help your children break down concepts and appreciate math in a whole new way. The lessons are taught the traditional way, not to a test. Each one of the video tutorials is taught by an internationally acclaimed teacher, Pat Murray who is renowned for teaching math concepts in a simple, easy-to-understand way and in only a few minutes at a time. CTC Math uses a multi-sensory approach, having the combination of effective graphics and animation synchronized with the voice of a friendly teacher together with practical assessment. This three-pronged attack makes learning so much easier and more effective. Even students who struggled with math are getting fantastic results, and those who were doing okay before are now doing brilliantly. Visit ctcmath.com today to start your free trial. Now, here's my interview with Catherine. Catherine, thank you so much for joining me here on the Homeschool Sanity Show. I want to begin by having you tell us more about you at like the basics of you and your family, because we're going to get in depth into your story and I don't want to um, give too big of a preview, but if you could give us the basics to get started, that would be great. Uh, You want me to go a little bit into my background or my life right now? Like your life right now. Well, I'm married. My husband, Jay, and I just celebrated 39 years of marriage. I can't believe it. We do tell people it's been 12 of the best years of our lives. (laughs) We have three children. Our oldest son, Jordan, would be 38, but he went to be with the Lord when he was just before his 22nd birthday, and I'll talk more about that in a little bit. 
My son, Jacob, is married with two little kids. He lives in Mobile, and he's a campus pastor. My daughter, Jessie, is married to Scott, and they live in Cheyenne. He's career Air Force. So we've been empty nesters for quite some time. Oh, well, that is that is a great uh, summary of what's happening in your life. And you also <laughs> speak at homeschool conferences, and you are the author of books, which we're going to get into because that is how we met, right? So you write books that help kids connect with the Bible. And so I wanted to ask you to begin with, why is it important, do you think, that we get our kids engaged in scripture from an early age? Well, I mean, I think most of the answers are fairly obvious and straightforward. We want our children to share our faith. I mean, that's the most important thing in our lives if we love Jesus. And so we want that same thing for our children. And quite frankly, we live in an anti-God, Christ-mocking, agenda-driven culture. And the only tools that our children are going to have to combat this as they get older and are confronted with these things is, is their faith and their relationship with God and, and their salvation through Christ. That's, what's, that's the, the anchor. That's what's going to see them through. Right. Yeah. I could not agree more. And, you know, I, I just love the promise that God gives us that his word will not return to him void. And so any investment that we make in teaching God's words to our kids, we don't have to worry about the end result of that because we just have to be obedient to right. share it. That, that is so good. And I think it's important, you know, as homeschool parents, first of all, you don't have your kids in the, in the culture, in the schools there. And, and I pray to God that more and more and more and more people will begin homeschooling their children so that we have an army of people who are equipped, not only with a relationship with God, but with the truth and can begin to push back and stand against this culture, because it's, you know, as well as I do, it's escalating so quickly. It's only getting worse. I, I really, um, I don't, I think it'd be really, it's always hard to be a parent, but the way the culture is going now, it's, it, it must just be the hardest job on the planet. And I know parents take it seriously or they wouldn't be homeschooling in the first place. Right. Absolutely. You are, you are so right about that. Um, that's why I'm really glad that you're here too, because you are, um, really an encouragement. You were definitely an encouragement to me uh, when we met. So I'm excited to have you encourage my listeners too. Mm-hmm. I want to talk a bit though about your books because your Rhyme and Reason series is designed for young readers. Can you tell us what makes them different? Well, I, I will correct you only slightly, Melanie, because okay. they're, they're not just for young readers. I actually wrote these for a women's Bible study. And what I tell parents, grandparents and great-grandparents, all of them, is I didn't dumb anything down, and I didn't leave anything out. There's really rich vocabulary that I really went back and forth with my publisher on, and then I got rid of him because I just disagreed with him so completely. There's nothing wrong with getting a, a dictionary or you know learning some of the vocabulary. But secondarily, I don't leave any stories out. For example, in Genesis, I tell the story of Cain and Abel, and I tell the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, because God didn't leave it out. And I wasn't going to either. And of course, I don't get into the gory graphics, but I was always frustrated when my children were little and I'd pick up a children's Bible and I'd be looking for a specific story and I couldn't find it. 
And it, it finally dawned on me, they're cherry picking these things. And it, it, it's like, what are we so afraid of? We want to have these hard conversations with our children. How else are they going to learn? How else are they going to be engaged and even know to ask questions? And so um, what makes them different is that I tell the entire thing. I just start at the very beginning of whatever book I'm doing, and I just go through the entire thing in rhyming couplets. Um, and, and like I said, I'm a thorough, and so each book is a is a specific book of the Bible. So Genesis is a freestanding book. Matthew is a single volume, et cetera. Do you happen to have a sample that you could read to us? Well, of course I do. <laughs> That's great. So I'll just read a little bit from a couple other books. So this is Genesis, and it starts like this. This is the one true story of how everything began. Because of love, our God began to formulate a plan. For six short days he labored as he shouted his commands. Up popped the stars, the trees, the seas, the mountains, and the land. Then God released the power of his vast imagination, creating all the animals and all the vegetation. And then I go on and describe some of creation, like Brussels sprouts, potatoes, and the funny odd kumquat. And somehow out of nothing, he created quite a lot. I love it. <laughs> a little bit of Matthew. So this is when Jesus is before, um, at trial, standing before Pilate. They put Jesus before Pilate, the governor of Rome, who said, I find him innocent. Just let the man go home. It was a great tradition as the Jews observed the feast to ask the governor to have a prisoner released. This time give us Barbarus, the frenzied crowd replied, and let that man called Jesus instead be crucified. They took a crown of thorns and smashed it on his head. They mocked the Lord and beat him, but not a word he said. And then I also wrote Leviticus because it's just such a powerful book about God's holiness. And because it's Leviticus and, and it's such a colossal bore to read, I wanted to make this the funniest one of them all. <laughs> okay. The Lord then spoke to Moses, take Aaron and his sons. He washed them clean with water. The anointing thus begun. He dressed them in their tunics fine and all they were to wear, just as God had told them right down to their underwear. <laughs> Oh, those are so fantastic. So I have to know, what gave you the idea to write the Bible accounts in rhyming couplets? Well, of course, everything has a story, so I'll try to keep it brief. But my, when we moved back to Tulsa, my mother-in-law invited me to her Bible study, BSF, Bible Study Fellowship. And I went the first day and I sat in the wrong seat and I parked in the wrong spot and they made me move my car. They had all these people <laughs> and I just thought, this was too much like kindergarten. I just can't do this. But I didn't know how to tell my mother-in-law I didn't want to keep coming back for a stupid Bible study. So I stayed. And I actually stayed eight years because what I realized was it was a fabulous in-depth study, the kind of teaching I hadn't had since I was in youth with a mission. And at the end of class every year, they have what they call share day. And anybody who wants to can say what they got out of that year's study. Well, I'm a speaker. I've been speaking for 25 years. And so I knew if there was a microphone, I was going to be in front of it. <laughs> what am I going to say? So I'm laying in bed on a sleepless night, very common for me. And I just, these couplets started coming to mind. So I got up and wrote, wrote a few down and went back to bed and got up and wrote a few down and went back to bed. And finally, I thought, I've got to just stay up till these put coming to me. Well, by the time the sun came up, I, I put the entire book of Genesis to rhyme. I rush off to class to read it to this rather stoic group of white women not given to spontaneous bursts of applause, if you know anything about BSF. And they went nuts. 
they went nuts. I mean, the, the discussion leader had to finally tell everybody to calm down. It was, it was crazy. I was stunned. And this was, you know, way before email. So after class, these women come rushing up to me with dollar bills and slips of paper with their addresses saying, make a copy and send that to me. Make a copy and send that to me. I had one woman say, Catherine, have you ever thought about making this into a children's book? I said, I hadn't thought of any of it until three o'clock this morning. <laughs> no, actually, but that's what got it all started. And each year when we would do a study, like the next year, I believe we did Matthew, so I put Matthew to rhyme. And that was just the process. And I joined a writer's group here in Tulsa, Christian writer's group. I learned what a query letter was. I got Sally Stewart's writer's guide. And you're nodding. I know you know what I'm talking about. And I, I find all these publishers, 35 and all, that I thought might really be interested in this concept. And I wrote 35 very finely crafted query letters with my copy of my Genesis poem. And I kissed them goodbye and prayed over them and shoved them in the mail. And I thought, I knew that Stephen King had gotten a $400,000 advance for writing Carrie. So I thought, if he gets that much money for a horror book, Lord knows what I'm going to get for these these poems. Well, what I got was 34 very finely crafted rejection letters and a call from one man who said, I think there might be something to this. Mm. Wow. And, and the rest is history. <laughs> now, now, how many books of the Bible have you done so far? I have, I have 10. And okay. So I, I had done Genesis, Matthew, and Exodus, and I was praying about which one to do next. I'd also been studying our Hebraic roots, and I know that Jewish children are required to memorize the Pentateuch. That is the first five books of the Bible. So I thought, if, if it's important for Jewish children, we're probably shortchanging our children by not introducing them to these books. And so I wrote the Pentateuch down on a piece of paper, and I felt like the Lord said to me, there's a New Testament counterpart to each one of those. Mm. It's like, oh, do tell, Lord. So think about this. Genesis and Matthew are books of beginnings. Mm -hmm. Acts are books of going out. Leviticus and Hebrews are both about the priesthood. Numbers and 1 Corinthians are about living your faith in the culture. Deuteronomy and Romans are books of the law. Wow. So I, I, I'm working on Romans right now. So to answer your question, I have Genesis, Matthew, Exodus, Acts, Leviticus, Hebrews, Daniel, Revelation, because they're the prophecy books, and Jonah and um, Esther. Wow. And I'm Wonderful. Like a, on Romans right now. So my plan is to do Romans and then go back and do Deuteronomy. But I just had two Old Testament books. So I want to get a New Testament book out. Fantastic. I just love it. And I'm sure the response from families who are reading your books has been fantastic. You know, Mike, I've got, I'm working with a new marketing guy and he had me, um, create an email response to either people that order off the website or that I meet at the homeschool conventions that sign up for my newsletter. And so I, you know, say, you know, hi, Melanie, it was great to meet you at the homeschool convention in St. Louis. And then I've got, you know, the, and the PS is please let me know what caught your attention or what appealed to you about the book. I'm so glad he had me do that because the, re the people reply for one thing and they like to be engaged with you, as you well know, as a podcast speaker, um, but the, the comments just make me weep. They, mm -hmm. I mean, they, I should have written some down to read to you because it's just, it, it's just so affirming to me and so beautiful for the Lord to show me what powerful tools these books are in people's hands. It's just been remarkable. And I even had a woman tell me that she read it to her parents 
who have one has dementia and one has Alzheimer's, and because she's wanting to lead them to the Lord before they before they die. Mm. So, and, and it's because it's rhyme and it's rhythmic, and people that have dementia are very childlike. It's really a powerful tool for that. Wow, I I love that idea, and that makes perfect sense to me. As far as you know, being someone who wants people of all ages to be engaged in the word. Um, I'm sure you have other ideas for how we can get our kids really involved in scripture, not just hearing it in your very, very um, engaging uh, poetry, but um, do you have other thoughts about how we can get our young wiggly kids uh, to really listen? I, I do, but before I answer that, I do want to say when I'm at these homeschool conventions, you know, I've got my little song and dance that I do, and I, I show them the timeline, the ribbon of, of genealogy of Matthew chapter 1. Um, I show them the plagues of Egypt because God came against the top 10 plagues. Um, I show them the beautiful um, illustration in Leviticus of all the elements for tabernacle worship, and almost always the parent that I'm talking to will go, I need that. <laughs> you know, right. because and I tell people, these are not fluffy little children's books. There's lots of really rich content that people of all ages can relate to. But to answer your question, um, you know, you've got six kids. You know that things are more often caught than taught. And, and so we've got to make it fun, for one thing. And I don't mean frivolous. The Bible's not frivolous, but the Bible can be fun because our relationship with God should be fun. Now, it's not fun always, just like marriage isn't fun always. But, but God is, you know, God is he God is he enjoys being God. He's perfect. He's thrilled to be God and he's thrilled to have a relationship with us. And so we need to be equally thrilled to engage with him and teach that to our children. This idea that a lot of us grew up with that God's this mean old man up in the sky waiting to hit you over the head with a hammer because you messed up has just got to go. It's it's I don't know who started it. I don't know. I'm Satan, obviously, but it's like, I don't know a person our age who didn't grow up with that idea of God being like that. And, and so I want to eradicate that. Now, is he a God of justice? Yes. Does he punish sin? Absolutely. But, but we know what to do. We repent and then the slate is clean and God's not up there with his arms crossed waiting to see what, you know, what we're going to do wrong next. And, and I also want to say, you know, that the Bible is not the end in itself. Jesus is. Jesus is just I mean, the way we find out about Jesus is in the Bible. But, but so you see my point? It's like, mm-hmm. the, is the Bible important? Yes, but the Bible isn't the end-all, be-all. The end-all, be-all is our relationship with Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit. And the way we know how to do that and grow is through the scriptures. The God breathes scriptures. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, when you're in love with somebody, you talk about them all the time, right? I mean, it's just true because you think about them all the time. And so if we're in love with Jesus, we should be talking about him all the time in our families. And, you know, I always, when I get in the car, I almost always pray for safety because, you know, there's so many idiots out there, you know, they're not drinking and drugging, they're on their phones or they're driving like they can't die. I mean, it's true, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, pray, ask God for safety. So not just praying over your meals, not just having a family devotion, although those things are extremely important. You know, bedtime prayers, morning prayers. Every morning, the first thing I do when I wake up, and before I even open my eyes, is I say, good morning, Lord. This is the day that you have made. I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. So that every moment of our day, our children see us engaging 
with Jesus. Certainly you want to pray before you sit down in homeschool. I mean, that's got to be fraught with all kinds of perils for parents and children alike. Um, so, you know, that's, that's the thing. And then, of course, you know, music and songs. And just because our brains are wired for melody and meter and, and music. And you probably remember every nursery rhyme you ever heard because it just sticks in your mind. I know I was driving to the most recent homeschool convention and I was flipping through radio stations and I got onto the oldies channel. And seriously, I heard a song I hadn't heard in 30 years and I knew every word. Uh, yeah. I couldn't tell you what I had for breakfast last week, but I know, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. so there's all kinds, and there's great little music CDs. I mean, Sunday school classes that are great at teaching these little, you know, songs that kids remember that are about Jesus or about some aspect of truth. And I think it's powerful. Mm -hmm. I love it. I love it. That is so, so good. I, I just so appreciate you um, expanding our view of what um, what it takes to connect people, our kids specifically, right. to connect our kids to yeah. that relationship with Christ. I love it. Well, I want to get to your story because I know you are, and, and I know my listeners can already tell that you're very passionate about your faith, but you have an incredible life story that just captivated me when we were together at the great homeschool convention. In fact, every time either of us would get a customer, I would have to have that story interrupted. And um, I hate to say it, but I was kind of hoping that my customers would leave so I could get back <laughs> to hearing the rest of the story because it, it is just amazing. And so I would love it if you would do us, the great privilege of sharing your life story with us again, and beginning with the fact that you have not always been a believer. Right. Well, I mean, we're not born believers. Um, we are born again believers when that time comes. But yeah, so, and this is what I would travel around speaking. Like when I speak at the homeschool conventions, I speak about understanding the temperaments and I speak about dating and courting. But, but when I speak at large, like women's ministries or at churches, this is what I share. It's my, what I call my signature talk. It's titled, Ouch, God, That Hurts. And what it is really is a story of God's ability to redeem everything. He redeems our immortal souls. He redeems the things that were done to us that were not our fault. He redeems the things that we've done that are our fault. And one of these days, ladies and gentlemen, he's going to redeem the entire universe. And so my story starts, I was raised in Oklahoma City. My dad was a dentist. We were you know, fairly well off. So I had everything I needed, certainly not everything I wanted. Um, I have an older brother and a younger brother. My older brother, we're all in our 60s now, and we still refer to him as Golden Boy. <laughs> if you've got a golden one in your family, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, I was extremely hyper, still am somewhat. Um, school was an absolute disaster for me from kindergarten on. I was just, I couldn't concentrate. I mean, I was, if you're a teacher, I was that kid that you just didn't know what to do with and just pretty much gave up on. Um, and you know, my, the thing that compounded it was my older brother was, of course, a straight-A student, Mr. Compliant. We went to this parochial school, and I always had the teacher that he had just had the year before. <laughs> Terrible, because I would always hear something along the lines of, are you sure you're Kevin's sister? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm pretty sure. You know, he's there all the time, and he calls my mom, bad dad, so pretty sure. Um, so when I was nine years old, my parents took me to a psychiatrist for the first time. And 
Melanie, I believe, began to believe two lies. Maybe I had believed them before, but they were cemented in at that point. And the lies were, there's something wrong with me. Because even at nine, I knew that psychiatrists were for crazy people. And number two, because there's something wrong with me, it's not okay to be me. And so what happened was just this, this anger. My parents just didn't understand me. If you know anything about temperaments, they're both melancholies, which means perfection. And here I am, this wild kid bouncing off the walls, always testing the limits, you know, clearly, you know, not floundering in school. And so they were trying to help me, but I didn't, that's not the way my little heart received it. Um, and so as I got into my teenage years, I started acting out and I, I got into drugs and then I got really into drugs. I mean, like I would do any drug that came along. I'm so glad that crack cocaine was not around back then because I would probably be dead or in prison. I was just indiscriminate. I would just do any drug I could get my hands on. I especially liked the downers. I didn't like cocaine and speed because my brain was already wired for sound. Um, so in retrospect, I realized I was sort of self-medicating. At any rate, because I'm stoned all the time, I quit going to school. So I'm truant. And then my parents would try to discipline me and I'd run away. And I was just creating all this chaos in the family. And so they finally, when I was 15, the summer I turned 15, they severed their parental rights made me a ward of the state and put me in a home for juvenile delinquents called, ironically enough, the Sunbeam Home. Well, let me assure you, it, there, nary a Sunbeam came near that place. It was a dreary state-run institution. I was going to write a book about it called Olivia Twist. Mm. But it was, just, I mean, it was awful. And so, and what, we didn't reform each other. So I just got to be a better juvenile delinquent. And I still was doing drugs and I still was skipping school. And these people like to steal cars. What fun! So we began stealing cars and joyriding and then, you know, going back to the something home at the time that school was supposed to be out. Well, to make it a, a long story short or shorter, one day we accidentally, unbeknownst to us in our drug addled state, stole a state government owned vehicle. <laughs> the government frowns on you stealing their stuff, which if you ask me is kind of ironic, but we'll let that slide right on by. Um, and so the, we, the FBI, the FBI came to the Sunbeam home, had us write out a statement of confession, handcuffed us, leg cuffed us because of the severity of the charge, took us to the Mustang County Jail because that's where we'd stolen the car. And um, it was not a pleasant experience. And I lit a little fire in the debris in the cell and they slapped a little arson charge on me. And my mother finally came and reluctantly paid my bail. This was right before Christmas break. My parents were supposed to come get me and then we always went snow skiing for Christmas. And instead, I decided that I was going to hitchhike to Florida and um, or pick fruit with the migrant workers. I, don't ask me how I came up with that. I, you know, don't we all know that's what white upper middle class girls do. So I'm hitchhiking towards Florida. I got as far as Monroe, Louisiana. I got picked up by this preacher and he asked me if I was a Christian. And I said, yes, I'm an American. Well, apparently that was not the right answer. So he asked me if I was hungry. He bought me a Dairy Queen hamburger. And while I was sitting there on that bench seat in his brown maverick, I can still picture it. He opened up his Bible and began to read the salvation scriptures to me. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. John 3, 16. And I'm telling you, something in my spirit began to stir. And so he took me back up to the highway, dropped me off. I stuck my thumb out, prayed my very first prayer where I wasn't just furious with God. And I said, if you're like that man says you are, I hope I get caught tonight. Well, I got caught in spectacular fashion. I was arrested for vagrancy and drug possession. They put me in a juvenile detention center. 
and I would not cooperate in any way. I wouldn't tell them my name. I, of course, I had no ID on me. I wasn't even 16. And so they wouldn't let me out of my cell. And in my cell, there was a Bible. And so I began to try to find the scripture. Well, you know how you read a book. So I was going to start at the beginning of the book. Well, that didn't last long. And then I was going to try to find the scriptures that he'd read to me earlier in the week. But I didn't know anything about the Bible. So that didn't go very well. But here's the point. The Bible is the living, breathing word of God. And it wouldn't have mattered if I was reading in Leviticus. You know, the power of God came on me. I got down on that cold tile floor and I asked God to, to come into my life and straighten up this mess that I had made. And I'm telling you, he did. I got born again on the spot. And just, I mean, it was just, I, I just knew I was, I was, I didn't know the terms, but I was, he had, he had rescued me. He'd come into my life. And the Lord spoke to me for the very first time. And he said, tell them your name. I thought, that is such a good idea. So I tell him my name. I eventually get back to Oklahoma City the night before I'm supposed to arrive in court for all these charges. So I had six counts of grand theft auto. I had drug charges, truancy charges, and the infamous arson charge. The judge gave me a, an eight-year prison sentence pending a six-month probation. That meant I had six months to be good, or I was going to go to the girls' reformatory until I turned 18, and then I would go to the women's penitentiary to serve out the remainder of my term. And I knew I couldn't do it. I knew I couldn't do it. I couldn't be good for six minutes, much less six days, six weeks, six months. And I was just, I mean, I'm not even a baby Christian. I'm like an embryo Christian. So I don't know how, <laughs> I don't know what to do, but God, but God. So an aunt and uncle who lived in Wilmington, Delaware, got on a plane. My mother had written them a letter when they'd gone skiing without me because they didn't know where I was. Very uncharacteristically pouring out her heart about everything that was going on. My aunt and uncle get on a plane. They fly to Oklahoma City. Un unannounced, knock on my parents' door and said, we want Kat we would like to take Catherine to live with us. My mother said, absolutely not. She's where she belongs and she's getting what she deserves. And you can get right back on that plane and go home. Well, in the providence of God, they severed their parental rights. They had no legal say-so. My grandfather was a lawyer. He went to the juvenile judge and said, I want you to let her go with them. And so he did. And so I got on a plane and I flew to Wilmington, Delaware with an aunt and uncle I barely knew. And um, six months later, all the charges against me were dropped. Oh, and so amazing. that was the good news. The bad news is that my uncle molested me the entire three years that I lived under his roof. Um, you know, Betty was my, my I would say I had two salvations, um, Betty Walters and Jesus Christ. But, um, and so that just sort of contributed to this idea of, you know, there must be something wrong with me. Um, and then I, when I barely graduated from high school, I went to youth with a mission and I spent three years there and I loved it. I went through their discipleship training program. I went through their school of evangelism and then I worked on staff for two years and went on all the short-term missionary trips. I, I loved it. I wanted to be a missionary, marry a missionary, have little missionary babies. And um, <laughs> I, I felt like I was called to Slavic ministries and I ended up not getting accepted when I thought I would. And in my immaturity, I got mad at God. And it's like I just had a heart change and it became very obvious. And they suggested that I leave for a while and, you know, get myself straightened out. I was welcome back. Um, OK, fine. So I went to live with my oldest cousin and her husband because my aunt and uncle were having real severe marital problems because of all of his infidelities that were finally coming to light. And um, uh, what, so wait, where am I? So uh and then my dad called after I'd been there about a year and said, if you're ever going to go to college and I'm going to bankroll it, you're running out of time. Well, I'm floundering. I'm floundering spiritually. I'm floundering with what I'm going to do with my life. I have no business being in college. 
But I was like, okay, that's my solution. So I came back to Oklahoma to pay in state tuition, enrolled at OSU, um, went the first year. Then the first day of the second year, my sophomore year, I met the man I married. I met Jay. We began dating and I got pregnant. And when I got pregnant, I knew that I had blown the call of God in my life, that I was not going to be a missionary. I was not going to marry a missionary. and I was not going to have little missionary babies. And I carried that albatross on my shoulders for 27 long years. Mm-hmm. I will say, too, that when I was in YWAM, I heard some teachings on restitution and, of course, forgiveness. And I wrote my parents a very long and heartfelt letter apologizing and, and asking them to forgive me for all the chaos and, and stuff that I brought into the family system. So I just had, felt like I disqualified myself. And, you know, I tell my audiences, and we can all relate to this one way or another, that my three best friends were guilt, shame, and condemnation. And they were dating, despair, discouragement, and depression. You know, and I'd get my kids ready for school. And then over my coffee, it was pretty crowded with all these voices in my head. Mm-hmm. But I, I heard a sermon one time. I heard a man. All I remember from the whole sermon is when he quoted the scripture in Ephesians where it talks about the washing of the water of the word. And, and that really resonated with me. So I began to read the Bible with real intention. And I began to study it. Because the Bible, it, it tra- transforms our thinking. That's what it says. Or it's renewed in our mind. And, and God says some really cool things about me. He says, I'm the apple of his eye. I mean, I, nobody's ever told me that. You know, he tells me I'm the above and not beneath. That I'm the head and not the tail. That I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. These are powerful truths that began to transform the way I thought. Um, and then I'm, I'm laying in bed one night in this dumpy little apartment in Sherman, Texas. We had three little kids, these three little stair steppers. So it's not like I needed something else to do. But I just held my hands up in the moonlight. And I said, I just pray. I said, God, what do you want to do with these hands? And he spoke five words to me. I want you to write. Mm-hmm. What? Me? So I jump out of bed. I run downstairs. I grab a paper and pen. And I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I'm waiting for something's coming to me. Waiting and waiting, waiting, scribbling down a little grocery list on the side, waiting, waiting, waiting. Well, nothing came. But I knew it. I knew the Lord had spoken to me. I felt like Mary, that I just treasured those things in my heart. And then, when you know, I, for a long time, I thought I was going to write my story. I thought I might write Jordan's story because when he had his heart lung transplant, it, it was like watching somebody come back from the dead. I, I started writing a book about it called Living with Lazarus. But it wasn't until that Bible study. When I put the books to rhyme, that it finally became clear to me what it was that the Lord wanted me to do. And so I told you that story. Um, and, but it was a long wait. I, it took me about three hours to write that thing and 13 years to get it published. And, wow. Yeah, exactly. It was very daunting, very discouraging. And I would come up with my own great ideas. You know, oh, well, I'll, I'll put it out on CD or I'll put it, you know, instead of making hardback, I'll do soft cover. I'm just trying to come up with ideas. And I'm telling you the truth. Every single time the Lord would say to me, Catherine, if you will not give birth to an Ishmael, I will give you an Isaac. Mm, I okay. love that. Stop. Hands off. And so, and, and really, uh, you know, I got so tired of people telling me about God's perfect timing. I thought if the next person that tells me that I'm going to break their kneecaps in the name of, <laughs> you know, because I've got this, you know, you know how it is. You've got something that you know has value and you don't understand why God's taking so long to bring it to fruition. You know, I used to tell him all the time, hey, I know that a day for you is a thousand years, but for me, they're 24 hours and I'm running out of them. Um, yes. Oh, but, boy. But we, you know, it did have to be his coming. And so Jordan, you know, he'd been sick almost since birth. We finally were having diagnosed when he was three. 
we were told he was not to live, live to get out of high school. And I don't want to go into too much of the story, but when he was 13, he collapsed for the first time, overexerting himself. His life flighted, um, and his doctor told us that they were starting to have success with single lung transplants. And so we immediately got him on the transplant list. And four years later, by the time he'd turned 17, uh, we went for it to St. Louis, where he had the surgery, and they said, it's time. You got a sick kid on your hands here. And so Jordan and I jumped in the van and uh, moved into the Ronald McDonald House on January 10th of 2000. By this time, they determined that he needed both lungs and a heart because his heart was so enlarged from trying to pump blood into these scarred lungs. The average weight for that, they call it a block, that block of organs is 10 months to a year. Well, a week after we got there, Jordan had a massive heart attack. I knew we didn't have that kind of time. But people all over the world have been praying for him. I mean, literally, people that I will never meet till I'm in heaven praying for him. And a week later, a week after his heart attack, we've been there 15 days. He's back at the Royal McDonald House with me. We had just decided what we were going to do the next day because I had a wheelchair and an oxygen tank and we could you know, get out and do stuff. And we prayed and said goodnight and the phone rang. And it was the woman, the transplant coordinator, and she said, we have an offer on Jordan. So 15 days after we got there, he got this life-saving or life-extending, I should say, heart-lung transplant. And like I already said, I'm telling you, the transformation, because he was blue from not having enough oxygen. He was on this medication that gave him horrible acne. And as soon as he came out of the surgery, his skin was as clear as a baby's bottom. It was just, it was amazing. And pink, it always made me think of the scripture that when we were translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his marvelous light. I thought that's what must be what it looks like to God when our dead spirits finally you know, get pink. They come to life and we're translated. And if I hadn't seen it myself, I just don't even know if I would have believed it. So he lived almost five years. And we got to watch him go from being a teenager into a godly young man who used his story to reach his own peers. And um, he died on uh, October 10th of 2004, just before his 22nd birthday. We all spoke at his funeral. And the thing that I, I didn't have any, I wasn't prepared with, I mean, I didn't have notes or anything. I just got up there and I said, the first thing I'm going to do when I get to heaven is hug Jesus, dance with Jordan and find Eve and slap her. <laughs> yes, exactly. Anyway, you know, but, Catherine, um, you, we were interrupted um, when you were telling me about Jordan and uh, the remarkable way that he got his transplant and how, um, you know, just how he responded to yeah. that transplant. And so when we started talking again, I said, um, How is he now? And right. do you remember what you said to me? I said, he's fantastic. <laughs> I loved that. I just love that. Um, because I, I believe it. I believe it um, with all my heart. Sure. We, I mean, and that's the thing. I mean, I grieved. I grieved hard. But people tell you the first year is the worst. For me, the first two years were the worst. Um, just that black cloud of grief. Um, but the thing is, he, Jordan didn't die. He didn't die. He unzipped his mortal body and he stepped from this life to eternal life because of what Jesus did on the cross. And that gave me tremendous, tremendous comfort um, as a mother. I know when I, that you know, the day after his funeral, you know how it is, all the out-of-town company goes home, Jay's back at work, the kids are back in school, and I'm just sitting in my prayer chair and I'm just sobbing and sobbing and sobbing. And I just can't believe I'm not going to see this little curly-haired, green-eyed boy anymore. And I finally just wailed to the Lord. I said, oh, God, I have buried my son. I have buried my son. 
And he spoke to me so tenderly and he said, I know I buried mine too. I said, you did, didn't you? You know just what this feels like. But then I was sort of feeling sorry for myself and I said, but you got yours back three days later. And you know what the Lord said to me? He didn't rebuke me. He didn't ignore me. He, he just said, and that's why I got yours instantly. And it was like, that's it. That's the gospel right there. That's mm -hmm. the gospel. Yes, it is. Um, it's such, it is such a powerful story. And um, as you were sharing your story, Catherine, I was realizing that something else that we can do to help engage our kids in the word and in a relationship with Jesus is to tell our own stories because we all have a story. We all have a story of how um, God uh, brought salvation to us or he made himself so much more apparent to us where our faith just took a major leap forward. And sometimes I find that, um, like even with myself, that I'm more likely to tell other people those stories than I am my own children. So I just want to encourage our listeners to, to do that. Take the time to share your story of your journey with Jesus, because that is powerful. That's, that's, that's an excellent point, Melody, because, you know, we, we bear them and we raise them and they become part of our story. And we, it does, I don't think we stop to say, there was a time when I didn't know Jesus and this is what my life looked like. And here's what my life looks like now that I do know Jesus. And I have the power and the privilege of raising you in, in a family, a, a faith, you know, whether, you know, you as a person did or not. And so, yeah, our children need to know our stories because their own is being built. And I do want to touch real briefly, because I told you, this is a story of redemption. So I just want to give three personal things, if you don't mind, of how God, sure. my, 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 my scripture for my life is that he takes the foolish things in the world to confound the wise. Um, you know, the fact that I'm an author and a speaker is kind of a, a joke among my family and friends. But, you know, so like I said, I squandered my education. I was handed the best parochial school education in Oklahoma City. I was handed a college you know, education and I squandered them both. And, but I don't want to go back to school. And so my kids, Jacob and Jesse, both have, were, were straight They both graduated magna cum laude. They both um, went on to get graduate degrees. My son, his is in Div and my daughter got two master's degrees. I mean, why get one when you get two? Um, so <laughs> my point is, God, what I squandered, God redeemed it through my children. The second thing is, there was a period where Jacob got mixed up with this guy who was extremely, uh, uh, he was almost like a cult leader. I think if he, if he had been better looking or something, he might actually have been, but it, he, he was scary. I never met him, but I heard a lot about him. And so he convinced Jacob that I was not a Christian, that I had created a God of my own imagination and that he could no longer fellowship with me. It was awful. It was awful. It was one of the hardest things I've ever gone to. So he came to me with Bible in hand, as the self-righteous always do, had me read 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where Paul tells the people not to fellowship with and tells me he can't fellowship with me anymore. I, I tell you, I felt like my kids were being lined up in the crosshairs and picked off one by one. I'd already lost Jordan. Jordan died. Now Jacob's divorcing me. And I didn't know if there was going to be a marriage, I, I mean, a wedding I wasn't invited to or grandchildren I wasn't going to be allowed to see. It was awful. It was six months and I didn't know when it was going to end. But, but my prayer group, every week we would meet, they'd hold my hands up like Aaron and her held up Moses in the Bible. And they kept telling me the scales are going to fall. The scales are going to fall. It's going to be instantaneous. Well, through God's 
you know, all of his miraculous dealings and everybody's prayers, Jacob finally saw the light. Um, he, you know, of course, you know, asked if he could come home. Well, then he graduated from college and he, it was going to be 18 months before he could join this internship. So where was there for him to go? No place but home. So he, so what God, what Satan stole, he stole six months. God redeemed times three. Mm. Stayed in my house for 18 months. And we built our, rebuilt our relationship and bonded and forgave and, you know, did the things we used to do, read together and went for coffee dates. And, and then the last one is after the first couple of books had come out, I got a call from my publisher who said that a, uh, a Spanish publisher comes to his office every year to ask what books that she can translate into Spanish and Portuguese. And he said, the only ones she wants this year are yours. I said, really? Why? He said, because they're the only ones that translate culturally. I'm like, oh, okay, well, I want to get that. And I said, but they, they rhyme. I'm like, <laughs> you know, I, we're having this whole conversation. I'm really confused. And I finally just said, I'm just afraid they're going to lose some of their charm. Mm-hmm. And Brian, you know, typical guy, he goes, well, it's not really about the charm now, is it? It's about the- <laughs> I'm like, oh, well, shut my mouth. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, okay, let's do it. So I hung up the phone. And I went into the living room and all of a sudden I thought, oh my gosh, these books are going to go around the world. I'm jumping up and down. I'm having a holy shout down. I mean, I'm getting born again all over again. I was just going nuts. And the Lord spoke to me, Melanie, and he said, Catherine, you are a missionary. Oh, right. oh I love it. I and just God love it. That call that I thought I had squandered. Mm. Mm. It is, it's just so encouraging to hear your testimony and to hear these life stories. And I know that my listeners have loved that, loved them. And I also know that they want to get their hands on your books, the Rhyme and Reason series. So I don't want to skip telling them the best place to find them. Ah, why didn't I blurt that out 16 times already? Rhymeandreasonseries.com. I'll spell that. T-H-E-R-H-Y-M-E-A-N-D-R-E-A-S-O-N-S-E-R-I-E-S.com. And you, I've got sample colors, covers on there, and there's also sample pages so that re- the listeners can get on there and kind of look through the books and read a little bit to their kids maybe and see how engaged they are. Yes, I love it. And I will put the link to that in the show notes, of course. Catherine, this was just a joy, and I hope to see you again and maybe have you back on the podcast because I just enjoy your company so very much. Well, I told everybody when I came home that if I lived in St. Louis, you and I would be best friends. (laughs) I I think that is true. (laughs) Well, thank you again so much. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks again to CTC Math for sponsoring the podcast. To find links to them and to Catherine's Rhyme and Reason series, go to homeschoolsanity.com slash word. Have a happy homeschool week. Thank you for joining me. Happy, healthy homeschooling can be yours. It begins with one small step. Let's continue the conversation on social media. I'm at Psycho with Six. This has been a production of the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network.